have your Bibles, open it to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. As we mentioned Sunday, Jesus in the first chapter said to the disciples that they were to go and preach the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That was his commission to them to to move forward. We saw that that has slowly been happening, but it's kind of been almost God having to push the church out. As persecution took place after Stephen's stoning and the first martyrdom and persecution through the person of Saul, we saw that the church started scattering and went to Judea and Samaria. And here, this is possibly 10 years after chapter 1. So I know it's only, you know, 10 chapters, but it's also 10 years. And it's hard to sometimes put in context just the time frame that this happened, because we're reading things happening, and it's like, oh man, so much is happening, so much is happening. But now 10 years approximately, maybe 6 to 10 years, depending on what I've read, uh, has taken place. And here, at this point, we see that we are actually reaching to the ends of the earth. Because now we're going all the way out to Caesarea. This is a period of time where now we're going to see Cornelius, who is going to be part of the Roman Empire, which is the known world at that time. And we see the gospel now taking that next step. And so let's read verses 1 through 8. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So as Cornelius is there, he's a part of the Italian regiment, a centurion, which means a chief over a hundred. We see that he is a part of the Roman army. The Romans had a legion which would number 6,000. They had a cohort would be about 600 and a, a, a legion, or I mean a the centurion would be a hundred, basically century centurion. It's over a hundred. And so as he is part of this regiment, it's about a hundred people. We talked about how he is kind of like a sergeant. It would be more accurately in ranks as we consider. And so he's one of the, the backbones to the Roman army. And we see a few things about him. We see that he is devout. He's God-fearing, and that he, he was generous in giving. And as he's there in verse 3, at about 3 in the afternoon, that's kind of important because we saw back 
in chapter 3, verse 1, that Peter and John were going at about at the hour of prayer, which was at 3 in the afternoon. So this was a, a time that the Jews would set aside to pray. Now, he wasn't going into the temple, but he was still taking time to pray. And that he was devout and feared God showed that he wasn't part of the multi-God worship of the Romans. He hadn't pantheism. He wasn't uh, worshiping many gods. He was monotheistic in his worship. And it seemed that he had a connection to the Hebrew God. But he was not proselytized, as we'll see later on in verse 28. That he had not yet come into that place, that he was still a Gentile. He had not adopted fully. And I don't think he could being a Roman soldier. There was a lot of structure into who would allow, who would be allowed in to, to be proselytized and what they had to do to get into that place. And so he had to worship God from a distance, so to speak. And we talked in depth a little bit more Sunday about how God reaches people in the most obscure places. People who you would think, no way can this person be saved. And yet God reaches those people. That's what we used to say about my brother. No way is he ever going to get saved. That guy, man, he's just out there. He's out in left field. He had his own dialect of cursing. You know, he made up words. And you're like, what was that about? You know, he just seems so far out there. But now he's serving in ministry to this day. God reaches people that seem unreachable. I, I was joking with our group Sunday night uh, as we were meeting because, boy, what a ragtag bunch of people we had there, you know, and people are talking and they're saying, you know, sharing things and you're thinking, oh my gosh, who are these people? Well, you know, when I got off speed and, you know, when my old man got out of the joint and you're like, oh wow, who are, who are we dealing with here? And God reaches and saves to the uttermost. And it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. And here it is, Cornelius. And the Lord appears to him and it says he distinctly saw an angel of God or, or clearly that word distinctly it really means clearly. It's not just evidently. He clearly saw this taking place. And of course, he freaked out as all of us would. In verse four, he stared at him in fear. I love that. They just picture in your mind, stared at him like, oh, my gosh, who are you? What's going on? And it's interesting because the angel of the Lord says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial to the Lord. Have you ever heard that God doesn't hear sinners? Well, he heard Cornelius. And we saw, we've talked about a number of times when Solomon dedicated the temple. He said, when the foreigner prays to this temple, hear him and answer his prayer. And so... I know there's a few scriptures that are pulled out that God, does, if we regard iniquity in our heart, God will not hear us. And sin definitely separates us from God and can sever that connection and that relationship with God. But God still hears sinners. He still hears the cry of people. He heard the cry of the nation of Israel when they were in Egypt and captive. You know, He hears. If we cry, He hears. If we, we seek we can find. And so even though a person's life might be in a sinful condition, God still hears. And I want to ask you a question as we go through this chapter. When did Cornelius get saved? Let's use terminology that's common. When was he saved? 
keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this and ask yourself, when did he be, become a believer? Just something to keep there, stir in your heads, so, you, so you don't fall asleep. Or hopefully you won't. Uh, anyway, so he gets this vision and he sends his servants out to Joppa. Now Joppa is about 35 miles away. And we know from the time later on it says on the fourth day they returned that they're probably walking because it's about a day and a half's journey and then we're going to get to the place where we kind of change scenes now. Okay, now here's one of those panoramic, you know, you're talking, if you're in a movie, you know, you're focusing on, you know, this guy Cornelius and all of a sudden it's going to fade out and now fade in, here's Peter. Because now about noon the following day as they were on their journey... And approaching the city, these men who Cornelius had sent, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, it's interesting because noon wasn't a, a traditional time to pray, but Peter went and prayed anyway, which is showing us something about Peter, that he was a man who prayed. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet or sail being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate, and they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Okay, First of all, let's all admit that this is something strange that happened, okay? The word, he fell into a trance, actually has the implication standing outside oneself. Whenever you hear the word trance, doesn't it, it, it strike you a little peculiar, okay? If I were to say, yes, I'm going to go into a trance right now, and I'll get back to you later, you would all leave the room and say, thank you, we'll find another church, thank you, uh, <laughs> But something unusual is happening here. And it's kind of interesting because they tell us that he was hungry. And then we see God kind of playing on that. And I think that's kind of neat. That God plays on what's happening with him. We don't know if he was so hungry that he just kind of zoned out. Like, have you ever done that? Man, I'm just hungry if you're at school or at work and you're just starving. It's like, oh man, it's hard to focus because I'm so hungry and I'm just thinking about food or whatever. Well... He's zoning out in a sense. He's standing outside of himself in a sense in this trance as something takes place. And God brings down from heaven this large sheet or, or sail and it's got all these animals that in the Jewish diet are not lawful. They're not supposed to eat these things. And God says, hey, Kill and eat. Peter, no, not so, Lord. Which is interesting, because Lord is kind of a title of someone you obey. 
to say no and Lord in the same thing is kind of a difficult thing to do, but he does. And he says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean, and I love the King James translation, or common. Because what's talked about here in the Jewish tradition is the dietary laws and the idea of unclean and common was anything that was not considered sacred, holy. And that would include Gentiles. They were considered common. They were considered unclean. And you guys read the story. You know where we're going here. God's basically saying, hey, Peter, you're hungry? How about some Italian food? Yeah, we've got some linguine with cans, some portobello, mushrooms, you know, all these things that you're not allowed to eat, but what about some Italian food? Because he's about to bring some Italians his way. And he's kind of opening up the door saying, hey, what about eating over here? You ever tried this? I don't know why I'm kind of getting an Italian accent as I'm talking about it. And I am hungry, so if I zone out, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but he's trying to introduce to him something that's unique, that's different, that what isn't a part of his tradition. And it's interesting and it's important to note that there are ceremonial traditions that belong to the Jewish people and there are moral laws that belong to all of mankind. Okay, and that's why later on in the book of Acts when they're trying to say, how do we deal with these Gentile peoples? Well, it would be good if they abstain from fornication. That's a moral thing. And, and things that are strangled that had to do with idolatry. And, and so they're really kind of dealing with moral things. But there are ceremonial laws that were specific to the nation Israel. And then there are moral laws that are for everybody. And it's important to see those distinctions because some people will try and put the traditional and ceremonial laws for the Jewish people on the church. And we see that's not happening. And it doesn't happen here. And so, all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. Now, it's important to see that there's something that's happening here. First of all, there is a preparation by Peter in praying, in seeking God, in wanting to hear from God. There is the revelation that comes from God through this vision. And now what we're going to see is a confirmation through the people coming to the door. So we have this preparation of the heart as he goes to pray. We have the revelation of God giving him this vision, this trance that he's in. And then we're going to have the confirmation as Peter, you know, three times God does this with him. Not so, Lord. He goes, don't call what I've cleansed unclean. Don't call common what I have made clean. Three times. Why three times? Well, I think he's trying to make the point. He's trying to keep this in your mind. Keep this in your mind. He, and he's trying to make the point to us too. And so finally, after the third time, the sheet's taken back. And while he's wondering out about, man, what, what was that? As he's wondering about the meaning of the vision, men come out and they call out at the gate, Hey, is there a Simon there? A guy named Peter? Now, it's not uncommon for them to call out. They usually wouldn't go to the door and, yes, it's Peter home. That's kind of our tradition. They would stand outside and they would call out. And especially a Gentile would respect the fact that the Jewish people would not usually allow them in the house. And he's at the Tanner's house. And I made a joke 
Sunday about Tanner by the Sea. You know, this isn't a, a place where you get your skin made darker. Uh, this is a place where they would clean skins of animals. They would gut the animals and use the leather. And it usually really stunk. It was kind of a foul place. And that's why it was usually by a sea, because it helped clear out the odor of that place. It's actually in the Mishnah, they were allowed, a woman was allowed to divorce her husband if he was a tanner. It's in there. And they said, yeah, you can get out of there because that place stinks. It was an unclean thing because they were killing animals and using uh, that leather. And so it was kind of a unique place. But these guys call out to Peter and ask if he's there. And so now we see the dots connecting. They're starting to put these pieces together. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate. Go to them, for I have sent them. Okay. So verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest, which was a big deal. To us, we just read that and say, okay, yeah, come on in. You can be a guest. But this is taboo. These are Gentiles. He's inviting those people into his house. And, and I'm trying to think of what would be an equivalent. And it's difficult to come into our mind because fortunately we've dealt with a lot of prejudices, but they are still prevalent in our day and age. But it's not like he's just bringing someone that people would say religiously, ooh, you shouldn't do that. And so think of a class of people or something that you would invite and, and into your home, the people, if the neighbors looked out the window and they saw, oh, who's he bringing in his house? Oh, one of them. You know, maybe it's, I don't know. You, you fill in the blanks. You know, junior high school kid. I don't know. Uh, just picking on you, junior highs. Uh, it's important that we see that Peter all of a sudden had a change of heart because of the revelation of God, that God ministered to him. And dealt with him. Just the other day, I was thinking back on my trips over to Wales, and I was specifically thinking about one in 2005 that was uh, very impactful on my life and some of the people that I had had just uh, some great conversations with, people who weren't believers but really were drawn to the group and uh, the Lord really opened their eyes. And some of them didn't even receive the Lord at that time. Um, but later on, we'd go to make a profession of faith. And I hadn't been in contact with some of these people for over a year because I hadn't gone last year. And I got a, a message, uh, email from one of these people. Just uh, the other day, I woke up and I checked my phone and there was an email from one of these people. And I was like, wow. How cool. I was just thinking about them, and there was this message. You know, it's like, okay, I think I'll go have Welsh food. You know, I mean, it was kind of one of those things where God was prompting my heart once again. So I started another dialogue with them, and this person isn't walking with the Lord at this time in the conversation, saying they'd like to come out to California if you would still have me. And that broke my heart. That just broke my heart. You know, and I said, still have you. Of course, anytime. Anytime you can come to this house. 
you know, you can come to California, you can come here, you would be welcome, and I want them to know that. But that's the idea. You, you can come inside. You're welcome into this house anytime. And Peter just got instruction from God, don't you dare call unclean what I have cleansed. Don't you dare say it's common if I have said it's okay. And Peter's getting the message here, and he lets them in, and he invites them in in verse 23 to be his house guest. Then, the next day, they started out, continuing the second part of 23, they started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Now, well, we'll get to that. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you, were, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without, hes without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Now, it's interesting that Peter brought companions with him. It's like, okay, if I'm going to go into this area, I better have some backup. I better have some witness, and it's good to have people go along with you. If you're going to go somewhere that's kind of uncharted territory or into an area where we're not sure what's going to happen, it's good to have backup. That's kind of a good rule of thumb. If God calls you to go and minister to people or to area, well, have a friend with you. Well, Peter took six. Like, okay, I'm going to this guy Cornelius' house. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile, full-fledged Gentile. He's a centurion. Yeah, he, he's respected by the Jews, which showed that he was a generous man who donated probably to the temple, as well as we saw praying at the, the third hour at, you know, three o'clock. Um, so ninth hour, I think it's called. The, so we see that he is a person who is respected because he has some knowledge and awareness and is trying to worship God. Peter takes his buddies along as they go down there and he's expecting, I love verse 25, as he entered the house, Cornelius met him. He fell down at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up, stand up, and he said, I am only a man myself. Now, Cornelius being a Roman and being a soldier, this was something that was common. He had had a revelation that a, a man of God, basically, he had to go and receive him. Well, to him, a man of God is someone who has a higher place than you. Even in their army, they would bow down before those who were above them. It was common practice. For us, it's not a common practice. And for Peter, it was an uncommon practice. That wasn't something that they would do. But for him, it was a common thing. I need to show reverence to you because you are a man of God. And so it was common for him to do this. But Peter sets the record straight. He says, I'm just a man myself. I love that. I love that he says, hey, I'm just like you. Remember in Revelation chapter 19, the same thing happened with an angel. 
when John bowed before the angel and says, no, 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 get up. I'm just the messenger. Don't worship me. And it's something about us that wants to do this, wants to elevate people. And that's why we get in trouble. And that's why we elevate people to our own detriment. We find out, wow, they were just a man. You know, I started putting more on them than I really should have, and they let me down. Wow. They were just a man. What did you expect? What did you want? Well, I, I thought they really heard from God. And people send in money to people who think they have a line to God, and they're just men. We know that the people still bow down and kiss the ring. They're just men. Why do we do that? It's in our nature. And we can even do it in subtle ways. You know, maybe not bowing down to people, but we can elevate people and think that they are more holy than us because of their title. That's why I've shared with you before the idea of pastor. I love being a pastor. Don't ever get me wrong. And I take seriously the responsibility. And I know that I have to be a role model and I have to live a life. But I am just a man. Driving in here, I was talking to Omar about Lost last night because I was watching it. You know, I'm sorry. I like Lost. <laughs> my daughter left a, a Taylor Swift CD in my truck and I was listening to Taylor I know it's country music even. You know, but... She writes some good stuff for an 18-year-old. I was pretty impressed. Actually, one song really touched me. And I'm just a man. I, I listen to the radio. I watch TV just like you. And as a pastor, I understand that I have to have a life that exemplifies who Jesus is. And I desire to do that. But I'm just a man. I'm no closer to God than any of you. There is no standards that are different. And so he gets him up, and I love that. And he says, I'm just a man myself. You know, don't don't give me that kind of credit. I, I don't deserve it. It's not for me. And then talking with him, verse 27, he set up and, and he asked him, "Why are you know we're not supposed to have anything to do. Our law, in verse um, 28, says, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with the Gentile. And, and the word that's actually used there is for someone of another tribe. It's very diplomatic, the word that he uses there. He doesn't say heathen. He doesn't say a dog. You know, He doesn't say we don't have anything to do with you lower class. He says with another tribe. He's being very diplomatic here. He's saying, you know, in our law, we're not supposed to deal with those from another tribe, the Gentile. And, and so he asks, why have you asked me? Oh, and another thing that's great is in verse 24, as he goes in there together, he had all his relatives and close friends. And as he enters the house, he sees this house full of people. I think that's so cool. You know, I don't know if Peter was expecting that. He was going in there and Corn Cornelius, okay, they're going here to Caesarea, it's about a day and a half journey, another day and a half, they should be here on this day, knowing that they would spend the one night, and so he goes into town and he gets his friends and family hey you guys, a man of God is coming a man of God, yeah, come here, they all get in the house, and who knows how many people but there's a big 
group there. There's a large crowd to hear this man. And I, I love that. God spoke to me. I got to get everyone to come and hear. Do we have that desire? Do we have that fire that just, man, when God speaks to me, I, I want to bring as many people in and share that with them. Oh, someone's going to come, at, you know, and, and do music or share or something unique's going to happen here. I want to invite people to come in here. You guys ever have like a, a band that you like, you know, that's really ministers to you that or a teacher that really speaks or maybe it's a conference and it's like, oh, man, this is something that's really, it connects to God in a special way. I want to bring as many people into this as possible because this is special. It's not just about me. I want to get everyone in on it. And that's what he does. So he brings all his friends and families, all his relatives and close friends. There they are. Peter walks in and there's this house. And I don't think, I don't know if he was expecting that. But all of a sudden he's like, okay, you know I'm not supposed to be here. You guys are from this other tribe. Uh, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius in verse 30 says, Four days ago, as in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. What a door. What an open opportunity. And that word, we are here to listen, actually has to do with to listen and to obey. We're here to hear and do what you say. We, we don't think of the word listen as obey, but they did. I wish my kids would have, you know. You know, listen doesn't mean just hear what I say. It means take it in, digest it, and obey. That's what it means. And so he says, we are here to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. Impromptu. All of a sudden, there you are. Okay, what has God told you to tell us? I love the scriptures tell us to be instant, in season, and out of season. We need to be ready, prepared to give to every man a reason for the hope that lies within us. Here you go, Peter. Are you ready? Of course. Verse 34. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism or does not respect persons. Boy, that's a powerful thing to start off with. God does not show favorites. Wow. Galatians 3.28 says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. female. We are all one in Christ. God does not show favoritism. What a powerful way to start out. I see now that there's no difference between us. What would that do? to this group of Gentiles who had always been on the outside looking in. And to have this man who is a man of God, who, who you're here to hear respect say, there is no difference between us. 
What would that do to their thought process? Do you mean we have access to God just like you do? Wow. How that would open things up and and just invite them into an active relationship with God. And it says, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So there are boundaries. God does care about what you do. It's not just whoever, yeah, whatever, who fear God and do what is right. And remember that question I asked you earlier. When did Cornelius become a believer? Just a reminder, just in case you're thinking, is it here? Is it now? But accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message, or it might say the word, the word is logos there, God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so he says there's no difference, there's no favoritism, God accepts men from every nation. He says, you know the word of God, the message that God sent. He starts telling them about Jesus. That is the message. That is what is talked about here. The word of God is the person of Jesus Christ. The word made flesh. Here's that word again, logos. It's no coincidence, John says, in the beginning was the logos. Logos was with God. Logos was God. It's Jesus. The message is Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. And so what he starts off is right at the core of what this is about. It's about Jesus. So he starts talking to them really directly about the person of Jesus. In verse 39 he says, We are witnesses of everything he did, those who are with him. In the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they killed him, by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's interesting in this small sermon that he's giving, that he says in verse 39 that he did in the country of the Jews of Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Why did he spell it out in that way? The Jew, he could have said that he was killed, but he said by hanging on a tree. Well, the Jewish people, their way of putting someone to death was stoning. It was the Romans' method to hang someone on a tree. And so he he is involving them as being a part of what took place here. It wasn't just the Jews who put him to death. The Romans had their part in it too. Which is interesting because he's involving them in what took place here with Christ death as they were as they hung him on the tree 
And verse 43 says, All the prophets testify about him that everyone, not just the Jews, everyone, this is now including, again, encompassing all of them there, who believe in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, believes in him, again, has the idea of trusts in him. It's not just, oh yeah, I believe in that. It's I believe and put trust in. I lean on it. I have confidence in it. Who receives forgiveness of sins through him. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. There's that word, the message, the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. And that word astonished, again, is they stood outside themselves in amazement that the the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter was interrupted. He was right in the middle of his message. The Spirit of God interrupted him. Boom! They filled him with the Holy Spirit. He didn't even get to an altar call. It's interesting because Peter was interrupted a few times by God. The Mount of Transfiguration, remember when, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let us build a a tabernacle for for you, for Moses, for Elijah. And while he was yet speaking, God said, this is my son, hear him. There's another time in, in the Gospels where Jesus interrupts him as well as he's trying to talk to people and Jesus interrupts him. Tell me, Simon. So Peter's used to getting interrupted by God. Whether it's the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, he's getting interrupted. And he doesn't even get to finish the message. He, he ends with this really crucial part. I mean, it is the cornerstone to salvation to everyone who believes and receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's believing in Jesus, what he's done, receiving forgiveness through his name means in what he has done. And at that point, they're filled with the Spirit. Now, okay, back to the question that I asked you earlier. You can't be filled with the Spirit unless you're born again. It's how it happened. When they believed, then the Spirit of God came upon them, and they were born again. So when did Cornelius and these people become believers? Let me suggest to you. Romans 10:17 tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. That these men who were postured to hear from God, to receive from God, when they heard the message of who Jesus was, they heard the word of God. They believed and they became believers. So in this short amount of time between when Peter started talking and when the Spirit fell, they became believers. We like to make things nice and neat and tidy. Repeat after me. I became a believer. You know, I, I so and so am a sinner. I, and we have our methodology. This is how you get saved. You repeat after me and you say the sinner's prayer. 
It's called the Sinner's Prayer. It's on the back of all those tracks. This is what you do. He didn't get to that part. It just happened when they believed. What did they believe? They believed the message about Jesus. That's what it takes. And they didn't have to sign up for the church. They didn't have to go through a 101 class that talks about what you need. And they didn't get indoctrinated to find out the depths of who Christ was. These people knew only from hearsay about this. And he doesn't give them a whole lot of information right here. He just gives them a little bit. And it's enough for God to say, yeah, that's what I wanted. There it is. They opened their heart. Boom. And it happened. I get this impression that God is looking for just that little opening. And if you just open up a little bit, he'll flood himself into your life. If you just say, I believe in Jesus. Okay, wow, bam, here comes the Spirit. They spoke in tongues. What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, you said okay. In your heart, I heard you. You said okay. So I said yes. All I needed was that little opening. And when you said I believe I filled you. And here there was a filling with the Holy Spirit, which is something that is special. It is something that happens throughout the book of Acts. It happened to the disciples and those in the upper room who already believed. So this is a filling with the Holy Spirit, God coming upon them through the Holy Spirit. It is something that is not just salvation. It is with salvation. You have to be saved to get it. And they... Apparently we're saved and filled and it, you know, it was like, well, don't you have to be saved? How many minutes do you have to be saved before you can be filled with the Spirit? Well, apparently not many. You know, apparently it could happen right at the same time. You can believe and be filled. You know, well, when does that happen? You're talking about time with God? It's, days is a thousand years. You know? So, they were filled with the Spirit. Empowered. And they were astonished because all of a sudden they said, Oh my goodness. He meant it when he said to the ends of the earth. Because what happened in chapter 2, they didn't say that in chapter 2, but they said what happened on the day of Pentecost in that upper room is happening again here with these Gentiles. And now the door is flung open and the gospel is just opened up to all those who were there who were filled with the Spirit. While they took over Jerusalem, okay, now they're going to start in Caesarea. They're going to start moving out, or in Joppa. They're going to start moving out from here to the other parts of the earth. And Peter says, let's baptize them. Are there any water around here? Let's dunk them. This is good. Let's seal it, because how can we deny it? And it's a good thing he brought those six guys, isn't it? Did you guys see that? You see that? Yeah. Okay. I'm not alone here. You are witnesses that what God did with us, he did here. There is no difference. God is working. And we need to be aware of that, that God is at work and wants to work. And all it takes is a small opening of someone saying, I believe, and God will fill them. It doesn't take wealth of knowledge and understanding and depth. It doesn't take years. It doesn't take weeks. You don't have to go through classes. All you have to do is open your heart and say, I believe. 
and God will fledge you. All he needs is a, a willing heart. And these guys had it all postured. They were they were moved towards that direction already. They feared God. He was a righteous man. He had everything going for him, but he did not have the Spirit of God, the new covenant dwelling within him. A couple things I want to mention and just bring about. There are some people who talk about a dual covenant, that it doesn't matter if you're under the old covenant, you can still get to heaven as if you're with the new covenant. That's not taught here. What's taught here is that you need more, that that wasn't enough. Now, what would have happened if Cornelius died before Peter got there? I'm not going there. Don't ask me. I don't know. And you don't know either. No one does. That's God's hand. But what is evident here is what Cornelius had was not enough. And whenever God reveals himself to someone who wants to know God, they will accept the truth. My sheep hear my voice and they follow after me, Jesus said. So if someone is seeking God and the name and the truth and the message of Jesus comes up, they will say, yes, because they are seeking God. It's important to understand that this is the natural result of a person who is genuinely seeking after God, is to say yes to the person of Jesus. It's not like, well, you can do this thing or this thing. No, this is where you end up if you are truly seeking God. It is the person of Jesus. That is the message. That is the word. That is God made flesh. That's who you need to understand. So what about these people? What about, if they're truly sinking, when the message of Jesus comes out, they will say yes. And they have as much right to all the things and the promises of God as any of us do. doesn't matter where they live, what nationality are, they are. All that matters is that they fear God, and that they believe in Jesus. There you go. That's an open door. And so a powerful, powerful chapter because, again, this chapter is why we're here. It's opened the door for the gospel to be with us and where we're at today. So good thing it happened. Good thing Peter said, okay, I'll go. I'll go. (coughs) And good thing this man, Cornelius, was who he was. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for seeking after this man Cornelius. God, you seek those who seek you, and you reveal yourself, Lord. And Lord, we do pray you would continue to just give us insight. Lord, you did say that our young men would would dream dreams, and our old men would have visions, Lord. And Lord... That just sounds so weird to us so many times. Like, I I don't know if I want visions. It just sounds so out there. But, God, I do want a revelation, a realization of you and your will. I do want to hear you tell me to give someone a call or or to go and speak to someone or, or to take a different way home than maybe would encounter somebody. God, you do speak to us. You do give us insight. You, Lord, you're whispering. May we hear. I pray that we would live lives of complete dependency and desiring to hear from you, Lord. Thank you again for this story, Lord, that just 
is so filled with powerful truths. Lord, may we apply them to our own lives, that they might enrich our lives and our ability to be used by you. Thank you, God, and I ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.